Hello, are you sitting comfortably? Then I'll begin. Can you picture a convoy of giant futuristic vehicles speeding out of a dust cloud? Or 300 valiant Spartans taking on 100,000 Persians? Or hordes of clan members swarming down a hillside on horseback? The chances are you could imagine those scenes all the more vividly because of the power of the music behind me, which is precisely why the makers of Mad Max Fury Road, 300 and Django Unchained used this very piece in their films. And those are just three of many places it turns up on screen. So you might recognise it, but do you know what it is? I'll tell you. It's the beginning of the Diaz Ire section of Italian composer Giuseppe Verdi's Requiem. I'm David Hill, I'm musical director of the Bach Choir, and in this edition of Change Your Tune, we're going to find out more about this famous piece, where it comes from, why it was composed, what makes it so powerful, and how the music continues. In the process, will reveal the extraordinary secret backstory behind some of the most famous movie music ever written. Plus, we know when we watch a film, the soundtrack plays a big part in the impact it has on us. But how does a composer even begin to make those musical decisions? In the first Narnia movie, as Lucy goes through the wardrobe for the first time into this snowy place, the director turned to me and said, look, how do we feel what Lucy's feeling here? The sense of wonder. Harry Gregson-Williams has created scores for some of the world's most successful movies, including The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Later on, he'll let us in on how he does it. So, before we get to this particular piece, we need to understand why a 19th century Italian composer, most famous for writing operas like Aida, La Traviata and Rigoletto were setting ancient Latin words to music in the first place. Well, the text is from the Catholic Requiem Mass. Requiem comes from the Latin requies, which means rest, and the Requiem Mass is a service for the dead, laying them to eternal rest. The words of the Mass have been set to music by many composers. If you've seen the film Amadeus, you might recall the final scenes as Mozart is desperately trying to complete his requiem before his own death, with Salieri scribbling down the notes he's dictating while the music of the Mass itself swells behind them. The Mass consists of a number of different movements or sections, starting with the introit and Kyrie, which means Lord have mercy, and then continuing through a series of contrasting texts. Before we talk about the music, perhaps it would be good to know what the words mean, so you can get an idea of what was inspiring Verdi when he was composing this piece. To help me with this, I'm joined by Chloe Lesk, who sings second soprano with the Bach Choir. Hello, Chloe. Hi, David. Thank you for helping us out on this. My um, pleasure. Th- so here we are with the Diazere section of this uh, extraordinary mass. We're just going to do the beginning here so we know how things started off. Here it is. Diazere, Diazila. The day of wrath, that day. Solvet seclum in favila. Will dissolve the world into ashes. Teste David, 
cum Sibila. This is the testimony of David along with the Sibyl. So I've done some googling and the David that we're talking about now is King David, King of Israel, um, that we sing about in the carol once in Royal David City. And a Sibyl is a prophetess. This one in particular was around in ancient Roman times and foretold the birth of Christ, but also the eventual apocalyptic ending of the world. So let's listen to the beginning again. Now we know what the words mean. And just to set the scene, the previous movement, the Kyrie eleison, ends very quietly and calmly. And then suddenly... We have this terrifying and arresting opening. It's marked FF in the score, which means very, very loud, fortissimo. We've also got the pounding of a Verdi drum. What is a Verdi drum? Well, it's different from the bass drum, which we're normally used to. And it sits on its side, and the player has to really hit this exactly at the right time between those massive chords. The voices are in double unison, which means the same music is shared by all the different voices in the choir. And it has an anguished, descending chromatic line that means lots of sharps and flats, and the notes all very, very close together, not the ordinary do, re, mi scale we're used to. And it's all set against a swirling orchestral sound on two notes, a G and an F sharp, which causes a discord. Through all this, Verdi is treating the tenors and basses like trombones, and the entire choir represents all humanity in fear of the day of wrath. Verdi was obsessed with fear, and we find that he keeps returning to this material throughout the work. The first 60 bars or so are extremely loud and frenetic, but then everything becomes much quieter, with the different voice parts repeating. Diazire, Diazila, now at pianissimo, really quietly, basically sounding scared. Which leads us into the next section. Quantus tremo est futurus, quando iudex est venturus. Chloe! That means how great will be the trembling when the judge will come. And the choir are asked to sing sotto voce, a phrase that we use in English. It literally means under the voice, pretty much a whisper. Gradually, the whispering gains momentum, all leading to the fanfare of trumpets, in our version played on the organ. When the lower voices, the tenors and basses, enter, it is literally an awesome moment. The words here are Tuba mirum spargen sonum The trumpets scattering a wondrous sound Per sepulcra regionum Through the sepulchres of the land Coget omnes ante tronum Will summon all before the throne There is a terrifying grandeur to the build-up and the section becomes increasingly intense. 
leads into the bass solo. From here, the various soloists come in and Verdi calls on his operatic skills to put across the text. The whole of Verdi's Requiem is a truly dramatic work, so it's not surprising that it gets used as much as it does in movies and TV and even in computer games. Film music stays with us and the people who create it are famous. Just think of the impact of John Williams and his iconic music for Jaws, E.T., Star Wars and Harry Potter and so many others. Or Hans Zimmer for movies like The Lion King, Pirates of the Caribbean or Dune. Or Michael Nyman's score for The Piano. Have you ever wondered how composers approach creating music for a film and what affects the decisions they make? Harry Gregson Williams is a prolific and award-winning film composer. As well as The Lion, The Witch and The Wardrobe, he did the score for all four Shrek films, many of Ridley Scott's movies including The Last Duel, The Martian, Kingdom of Heaven and House of Gucci, Tony Scott's The Taking of Pelham 123, Disney's live-action Mulan, Phone Booth, X-Men Origins, Wolverine, The Equalizer, Gone Baby Gone, Flushed Away and many, many more. He also writes music for TV and computer games, so he seemed like an ideal person to ask, where does he even begin? I generally start at the piano where I'm comfortable and try and find some thematic material. Maybe it's a chord sequence, a chord shift or a melody that's starting to mean something to me. I have the film playing in the background of my studio beside my piano. When I'm kind of confident I've got some germ of an idea that's worth pursuing, I start to sequence the music so I can input MIDI messages and, and have it play back to me. It's, it feels like a kind of, almost like a symphony with, with pictures in a sense, that yeah, right. you're creating moods and themes that are actually going to be running all the way through that people can really recognise. And that's not dissimilar from a classical tradition of composers setting out with their germs of ideas and so on. Right. And often, you know, my old mate Hans Zimmer, who was the reason I started to even think about trying to be a film composer many years ago, you know, he said to me, hey, we're just storytellers, you know, we're, we've got to find subtext. You know, one can be scoring, you know, writing music to a scene and channeling exactly what we see on the screen. That can be helpful. But we can also be in the background. We can also be another character in the scene. You know, we can be laying the foundations for a relationship to break down or a relationship to happen. And that's what's so exciting about composing music for film. We're giving the audience information that they wouldn't otherwise have. And perhaps they don't even know that they're receiving We'll hear more from Harry a bit later, but while we're talking about film music, I promised to reveal a secret. Chloe, you've been doing some investigation. What have you found out? Okay, so we've talked about the fact that the words in this piece come from the Diaseri section of the Requiem Mass. They are attributed to Thomas of Celano, a Franciscan monk who lived in the 13th century. Initially, the words would have been set to a chant. Most people have heard of Gregorian chant, that evocative sound we associate with monks in big churches. The Dies Irae tended to be sung to the same note pattern. To demonstrate, we got some of the men in the bar choir to get their monk on and sing it at our last rehearsal. There is a relevance to film, I promise. Let's slow that beginning down a bit. Dies, 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 Dies. 
that opening four note sequence has become a way of conjuring up a sense of impending doom in movie music writing. It turns up in so many places. It's in It's a Wonderful Life, as James Stewart's character runs into the bridge, in A Clockwork Orange, in the creepy theme for The Shining, in the 1973 horror classic The Exorcist. There are so many examples. More recently, you'll hear them in Howard Shaw's music for The Lord of the Rings, in John Williams' Home Alone score, in The Lion King when Mufasa dies, and the Ron and Harry's terror ride in The Flying Car in Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, in Star Wars, Frozen 2, The Mandalorian, and it's not just movies. You'll hear them in the soundtrack of Game of Thrones, Stranger Things, White Lotus, Squid Game. It's a really long list. We can't play the examples, unfortunately, because there are lots of rights issues with using music in podcasts. But there are some fascinating videos that you can find online, um, which track the theme, and um, we'll put some link for you in the show notes. I bet most people don't know that there's a medieval chant at the heart of so many film scores. I'm sure they don't. It's amazing where it turns up. And of course, it also gets used a lot in the work of later composers. Rachmaninoff used it extensively throughout his work. You'll hear it in Hector Berlioz's Symphony Fantastique, Mazowski's Night on a Bear Mountain and Sanson's famous Dance Macabre. Music really is a matter of life and death. In fact, Verdi didn't use that particular sequence of notes in his Dies Irae, but even though he wasn't a religious person, he was fascinated with the Catholic Mass. Right, back to the music! After the solo sections, we're going menacingly back to the choir's original Dies Irae. It sounds a bit like a swarm of insects coming towards you, don't you think? It really conjures up Verdi's fear of and obsession with death. But then we're back into calmer waters with more solos. Harry Gregson Williams includes choirs a lot in his film music. In fact, the Bach Choir met him when we appeared in his scores for Shrek 3, Ridley Scott's The Martian, Prometheus and Kingdom of Heaven. So why does he use choral music so much? And why does he think Verdi's Dies Irae is so popular on soundtracks? For me, it's the simplicity in a way and the directness of the message in that piece of music. It doesn't leave you with any doubt about the emotion it's trying to impart. And I think that's what film music can do, is it's it's very best. It's kind of a through line into the viewer and the listener, into their psyche. A moment, for instance, in the first Narnia movie, Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, um, as Lucy goes through the wardrobe for the first time into this snowy place, I had a couple of flutes, a harp, and I think some muted strings. And the director turned to me and said, look, how do we feel what Lucy's feeling here? The sense of wonder. Bringing in a choral element gives a certain humanity to the moment. This is one of my favorite moments that I was able to score. There are many moments within that film and that score where a choral element was absolutely essential in my mind. (laughs) 
Harry Gregson Williams taking us a little bit behind the scenes of his wonderful film scoring life. As we come towards the end of the movement, we're in more positive territory. The Pia Jesu, Sweet Jesus, where the words of the Mass ask merciful Jesus to grant eternal rest and peace. Even in those final peaceful moments, you can't resist that drama with the swell of the Amen. slightly ominous chords before the final conclusion of the movement. And I should say the examples we're using here are from a brand new Bach choir recording of Verdi's Requiem, which we're all very excited about. The music has been specially rearranged by the composer Richard Blackford for two pianos, organ and percussion. I think it has all the drama of a version using a full orchestra, but the great thing is I think you can hear what the choir is singing even more clearly. And of course it can now be performed by many, many more choirs much more affordably. So Chloe, were you part of the Verdi recording too? Yes, I was. It was an absolutely fantastic uh, recording. I was so glad to be part of it. It was, I think, almost 200 of us in this church. The sound was just so huge and powerful, so incredible to be in the middle of that. Absolutely. Well, I know I'm biased, but I think it's a really great version of the Requiem. If you'd like to hear the whole of our recording, then you can do that. You can find it on the Nimbus record label or click the link in the show notes to buy it or stream it from your favourite platform. That's it for this edition of Change Your Tune from the Bach Choir. I hope you've enjoyed it and maybe discovered something you didn't know before about this iconic piece. Search for Change Your Tune wherever you get your podcasts and click follow so you don't miss an episode. And if you liked it, please give us a rating and a review. If you'd like to hear more, do go and find our first episode about Zadok the Priest, the stirring piece by Handel that was at the heart of the coronation of King Charles. Just on that, David, something really interesting is that Zadok the Priest actually entered the top 40 after the coronation. People heard it in the ceremony and were so blown away by it, they downloaded it. Which shows that we might be right. People are more into choral music than they might first think. If you've enjoyed getting to know Verdi's Requiem, I've put together a playlist of other famous Requiem movements for you to try out. You can find it at thebachwire.org.uk, where you can also sign up to our newsletter. Along with the playlist, we'll send you all the latest news on this podcast, on upcoming performances, as well as giving you even more insight into everything that happens behind the scenes at the Bachwire. I'll put that link in the show notes. And if you've been a bit shaken by all this talk of hellfire and damnation, here's a more soothing part of the Dears Ere, the Lacrimosa. Still very dramatic, it is Verdi after all, but it will, I hope, leave you on a positive note. Until the next time, goodbye. Goodbye.